everybody, and welcome back to Podcast by Committee, uh, your most favorite podcast here in the athletic fantasy network of podcasts, I guess. Unofficially, that's what we're calling it. Anyway, today, uh, we've gotten some week one action out of the way. Uh, it's all very confusing. Nothing really went as planned. So we're going to go uh, in a different, you know, the first several shows were preseason. We're into the season. And it's kind of a look ahead to wh- what just happened and how can things get fixed for our fantasy teams. And I think one of the more intriguing teams out there, the Minnesota Vikings, who just did some weird stuff against Atlanta. Uh, we're going to find out today if that lasts, if this is the way things are going to go to that extreme, or if there's some hope for someone like Kirk Cousins, maybe Kyle Rudolph. So we want to bring in Arif Hassan, who's uh, one of the writers over at the Athletic Minneapolis or Athletic Minnesota, right? Uh, yeah, Minnesota. Arif, thank you so much for joining us, man. This is a, I'm a long time uh, from pre-athletic days, actually. Oh, enjoy wow, your, enjoyed your stuff for many years. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, um, you you invited me onto this podcast earlier. We couldn't uh, we couldn't quite make it work. So I'm really glad I was able to finally hop on. I think in a way it's better that we got you after the the first game than before because uh, this is one of those head scratching yeah, performances. Well, certainly, I'll look smarter after the first game has happened. So I'm happy about it. Well, you know what though? No, because in the there was a little roundtable preview that you guys did, and in it you told everyone to bench Kirk Cousins. Which I think, you, I mean, if someone's that. reading that, yeah, <laughs> that was wise, um, but not to this extreme, right? Yeah, no, I don't think anybody expected him to throw 10 passes, have 11 dropbacks, and I, I don't expect it going forward either. It was a very unique situation. And so I guess um, let's just dive right in, right? I mean, you, you know, let's go for it. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, if, if you're listening to the show on Apple or Spotify or any of the other, um, I guess, podcast listening devices and platforms, uh, we're actually offering a special athletic discount. Uh, just to clarify, this is not just for athletic fantasy. This is for all of the athletic. So you'll get all the Vikings coverage. You'll get the WNBA coverage. You'll get NBA coverage. You get whatever you want. Um, just go to theathletic.com slash PBC, which is short for podcast by committee. That gets you 40% off. Uh, so 36 bucks basically for a year of awesomeness. Um, let's jump into it right now. Arif, uh, so I think like when people are kind of logically explaining away what happened here, it's not that they wanted to swing the other way from the DiFilippo era. It's that there was a blocked punt, there was interception, the Vikings had a short field, they had a lead early, and so they ran the ball to, to I think Mike Zimmer said it best, to make the clock our friend. Um, yeah, yeah. Is that basically uh, the long and short of it? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I, I wrote a piece over at The Athletic uh, breaking down kind of the the four plays of the game that I thought really kind of set the tone. And then when the piece was tweeted out, uh, they said it was in the first 13 snaps, which uh, I was surprised to find out. It's uh, really good work by my editor to nail that down. Um, <laughs> but I think that that tells you everything. They went up you know, 14-0 in the first 13 snaps, and then it was 21-0 in the second quarter and 28-0 in the third quarter. And the thing is, if you take a look at the the play distribution in when they were up by two touchdowns, they passed it more than they ran, which is fairly typical for every NFL team except the Seahawks, right? So, uh, you know, that that's a, that's a fairly typical normal distribution. It's not entirely reaction to John DeFilippo, who is the second happiest pass uh second pass happiest coordinator in the league last year um so you know obviously they they don't want to kind of repeat what they saw as the mistakes of that regime they're gonna run the ball more but they're not gonna 
you know, zag completely why the NFL zigs. They have an $84 million quarterback. They're going to use him. Um, this is entirely about making the clock their friend, and they're happier to do it earlier than other teams. Like, I think they're more likely to get into run-out-the-clock mode uh, into the third quarter than a lot of teams who might want to wait until, say, the fourth quarter to do it. So that, you know, maybe that's something that's important if you're a fantasy player that pays a lot of attention to game script. But, you know, for the most part, I expect the Vikings to pass more than they run. Is I mean, you said something in there that I wanted to bring up um, about how, like, the entire league is going one way and, and the Vikings are swinging the other way. Is that, I mean, it's it's not the dumbest thing in the world, right? Like, when everyone, when 80% of the league is going, that's, that's kind of what brought out all, you know, the McVeighs and the Air Raid and stuff is because... You know, the league had been one way for so long and now it's a different way. And now that it's a different way, is there any kind of logic behind saying, well, you know, maybe Mike Zimmer's thing is pretty smart. No one's running anymore. Defenses aren't maybe accustomed to it as much. <laughs> um, maybe that's part of the strategy. Not not to this extreme, but, it, you know, everyone kind of laughs yeah, at it no, being I, old I, school. But, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of the strategy. I think what's the most important representation of that is actually who they choose to put out on the field uh, because the Vikings were in either two fullback or two tight end or both. They were, they were in 22 personnel uh, or sorry, not two fullback, two running back, two running back, two tight end or both. Uh, and they averaged more than 10 yards to run when they were in 22 personnel with two running backs and two tight ends on the field. Um, so it, it's something that they're pretty comfortable doing. They do these condensed formations a lot. Uh, which you, you just mentioned like McVeigh and then obviously kind of this this whole uh, tree that's kind of spread out and around McVeigh. Um, and they they tend to have one tight end, three receivers on the field, one running back. Uh, and and they let they spread the defense out and they kind of if they do run the ball, they kind of run through those open gaps. Whereas the Vikings, they very much prefer to have condensed formations, have a blocker on a blocker. And then that gives them more space in the passing game if they are choosing to pass uh, to get to the sidelines and stuff like that. So they are in a lot of ways, uh, you know, zigging when everyone's zagging. And also they're running more often because, you know, defenses are getting lighter, running backs are 230 pounds instead of 250 pounds and stuff like that. Uh, and so y- you're going to see a lot, I think, more running from the Vikings than you are a, a typical NFL team. But again, if you just counted up all the passes at the end of the season and all the runs at the end of the season, the Vikings are going to pass the ball more. By the way, I also want to, um, so on, on my list of questions here, I, I had referenced your your film breakdown, um, but just it, it wanted to commend you like, just for all the listeners out here, this isn't like a beat writer who's just kind of looking at film and, you know, saying this happened here, this happened there. Like you were quoting plays. You were talking, I think, like the power plays, the what was the God? The God. Uh, oh, yeah. God play. Yeah. yeah power. I, I, so I'm reading this. I'm like, oh, my, this guy's deep in, in film study, man. It's not it's not <laughs> just like, uh, hey, let's take a look at some screen grabs. Yeah, um, it's it's something that uh, I've I've been super into and super proud of for a while. Uh, you know, kind of because I've always considered myself kind of a, a an analytics guy, a stats guy, and so uh, I figured, you know, maybe the best way to to be good at that is to is to really dig into film. And so I've I've kept up in contact with a lot of you know uh, high school coordinators. Uh, you know, even I've I've talked to Paul Alexander, the the former offensive line coach for the Bengals. 
Uh, and I've learned a lot about kind of how to break down film in the way that, that football teams were kind of meant to break down film. Uh, and and I, I talk actually a lot to Ted Wynn, um, who does a bunch of great you know film breakdowns for the athletic. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I figure if I can if I can get good at that and if I have a good understanding of statistics, I can get just a really good kind of coherent view of what's happening in football to the extent that we can. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's so are you of the, the opinion this is just like and this is such a weird game. It's if this was a kind of a normal ish game, like let's say week two is going to be their normal ish game where, you know, they quote unquote run the ball a lot and they pass enough where Cousins maybe has 26 attempts. Is that something you can extra- extrapolate? Because they, I was reading a lot of the articles and a lot of the quotes and they were saying things like um, Cousins had this weird quote. It wasn't weird, but you just don't hear it that often. Where he's like, we close the door on this game and the next game, we're on to the next game. And every game is like a different chapter and a different strategy. And it almost made it seem like they're approaching these 16 games, like 16 totally different events where nothing's going to carry over from one game to the other. And everything is like so totally game planned that you might see another game where Cousins passes 10 times. You might see a game where he passes 50 times. Um, is that is that fair or is this just them kind of talking and and maybe a little hyperbole? I think I think there is a little bit of truth in that. I think I mean if you ask just a random NFL player for a random NFL team, you know, about kind of how they approach the season, they'll all say we'll take it one game at a time. And the Seahawks famously, you know, after every game say they're zero and zero heading into next week, uh, and then they want to be one and zero at the end of the week. Uh, but I think that the way that the Vikings approach it does kind of treat it as as a singular event insofar as their tendencies from one game are not likely to translate to another. And I think one thing, I didn't even bring this up in, in the piece, uh, this was a completely kind of new sort of defensive look from the Vikings insofar as they, they don't blitz this much. I mean, everyone looks at Mike Zimmer, they see kind of an old school coach, they see him as kind of an aggressive guy, and they assume he blitzes a lot. And he shows a lot of blitz, but he actually only sends four rushers most of the time. He's actually in the bottom half of the league in terms of blitz rate. That wasn't true in this game. They, they did end up sending extra rushers in this game. They created a lot of one-on-one blocks. And I was trying to figure out kind of why that was the case. And I, I dug into Dirk Ketter's history as an offensive coordinator. And he said one of the weaknesses of his approach to offensive game planning is that he very often only has five players in pass protection because he likes to send the back out, which, by the way, crazy honest interview from Dirk Ketter I found um, really but, really <laughs> yeah uh, but you know you look at that and you're like oh that makes a lot of sense because if they had kept six players in in pass protection that game plan probably wouldn't have worked out nearly as much um, so I would expect going into the next game kind of depending on how the protection scheme works out they're going to be a little bit less aggressive or a little bit more aggressive um, especially because you know that the Packers they're, they're very familiar with that but Matt LaFleur is kind of a new guy um they might change how they send defensive looks at them. And if that's the case, that means they might kind of have a designer defense for every single week. And I think the same thing is going to be true in offense because, you know, he's the head coach, that culture is going to filter down. So I wouldn't be surprised if we find a game where, hey, they really like this matchup against the slot corner. They're going to be in three receiver a lot. And that might be the only game of the year where they're in three receiver sets a lot. Who knows? Um, so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they kind of craft kind of a designer offense approach where they decide this team's really good against explosive plays, so we're going to focus on getting first downs, or this team, you know, the safety bites a lot of play action, so we're going to throw 20 yards downfield. That, of course, is very frustrating for for fantasy owners yes but uh, it is um, but but it, it might be good for for the vikings and obviously they care a little bit more about wins than fantasy i mean can, can i just take us in, in a weird place real quick can we just do like a quick confidence scale if you're uh if you're a fantasy owner 
how much I just go down each guy real quickly and just like confidence and like Stefan Diggs from a one to 10 that he'll be a consistent fantasy performer every week. That's that's tough. So I actually I do like Diggs more than Thielen. I know Thielen's been more productive three years in a row, but I think that Diggs is a more talented receiver. And and, and I wouldn't be surprised if he breaks out and and shows that 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 he can be more productive than Thielen. Obviously, a good problem to have. But my confidence in that assertion is difficult. And then obviously, my confidence in their ability to kind of target him and throw the ball a lot um, is pretty difficult. So in terms of like week in, week out fantasy production, say you drafted him in, I don't know, the second round. I think that's kind of where he was going with Thielen. Um, I maybe maybe a six or a seven um, for him to kind of meet every week his his round value. Okay. Um, but, you know, it, I wouldn't be surprised if it was kind of just a more explosive thing where, you know, one week you know, he has 120 yards and another week he has like 70, which is like fine, but it's not necessarily what you're paying for. How about Thielen? Is he, I mean, it's, it's, is he more of a steady force there who's not going to have those huge swings like Diggs and like and lacks that upside, I guess? I, I would think so, uh, just kind of based off of how Cousins treated Thielen last year, obviously like a very consistent target, especially for the first uh, eight weeks of the season. Um but yeah, with a new offensive coordinator, it's always really difficult to tell because one of the reasons Thielen was targeted more often last year is because they had Diggs isolated against a, a, against a single cornerback and they had Thielen running route combinations on the other side with other receivers. It was easier to spring him open. But that's an offensive coordinator thing. Who knows kind of what translates um, into the next offensive corner. But g- going forward, I my bet would be that he is the more consistent uh production asset of the two so i'd I'd say maybe an eight but given kind of all the newness of this uh of this offense it's it's very difficult to even say that my confidence level is something with a certain confidence level like my confidence in my confidence isn't high (laughs) this is great this is gonna be fun (laughs) uh is is kyle rudolph i mean is he just gonna be i mean i remember man it might have actually been him five or six years ago when there this tight end, everyone expected everyone to do great offensive things, ended up blocking a ton. And it was just like, why is this guy only getting 40 yards a game, no touchdowns? And it turned out they just needed him more in the blocking game for the running. Um, is Kyle Rudolph, did, did we kind of swing a little too hard on him in, in fantasy drafts and he's just going to be almost a non-factor? Or is this kind of like, we're going to run the ball a lot, get in the red zone, and he's going to turn into a great red zone target and maybe only has 700 yards, but he has 14 touchdowns? Yeah, I, I would expect it's it's closer to to having, you know, low yardage, high touchdown totals. Um, but there is an alarming quote from Kirk Cousins after the game, which was, you know, hey, we studied, you know, the analytics of it, which he's talked in the past. You know, the reason that they're going to do play action more often this year is because, you know, the Vikings did a lot of research and the evidence, you know, kind of dictates that you should do play action more often, basically all the time. Uh, and one thing that, that Cousins said after this game is that, you know, you take a look and you study what works and what doesn't. When you get closer and closer to the goal line, it's actually better to run the ball. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's kind of alarming if you're a Kyle Rudolph owner, right? Right. Uh, you know, they, they're they're very committed to, to sometimes the, the products of that research, and they're also very committed to the run game generally. If they're just running the ball a lot, it could be a lot like kind of, you know, Teddy Bridgewater where, uh, you know, they get to the red zone a lot and then Adrian Peterson just gets the ball and, and Teddy finishes the year with like 14 touchdowns. Right. Um, so I, which I wouldn't say Kirk is going to finish with 14 touchdowns or anything like that. But if you're looking at receiver targets, Rudolph is a tough one, um, especially because uh, he actually 
blocked pretty well in this game. And one of my criticisms was that, you know, the Vikings were overusing him as a blocker in part because he's not particularly good at it. And in this game, he killed it. So they're probably going to keep doing it. Um, but I, I would say that just, again, because of how kind of unique the situation was, I wouldn't use this game as kind of a template. I would say that I wouldn't be surprised if he only got 500 yards and 10 touchdowns, which I think matches like his his second year in the league where he got something like 400 yards and, and 10 touchdowns. Um, I, I wouldn't say that he's a, a threat to get a ton of yardage, but I will say he'll continue to be kind of a red zone threat. And the fact that the Vikings are very willing to only put two receivers on the field uh, to go along with, you know, two tight ends and one running back or even just one receiver on the field, you know, out of the tight ends, he's by far the best red zone target. Um, and so I, I would expect him to get a, a fair share of, of, of kind of the throwing volume when they get closer to the end zone. Um, just shifting gears uh, just re- really quick. Well, it's not even shift, shifting gears, but going back to when you said the, um, the three wide receiver sets we might see, is Josh Doxon going to be at number three? Is that is that how is is he kind of ready for that yet, or is it still going to take a few weeks? He's, I mean, it, it's almost like he went through Josh Doxon with Laquan Treadwell, and it's they have the same kind of narrative, right? Uh, yeah, I, I would say there's a more upside with Doxon just because uh, he has been, you know, somewhat productive. He's got, I think, 500 more yards than than, than Treadwell does. They were both drafted, you know, within one pick of each other in the same year. Uh, and, and Doxon adding on top of that, Doxon was injured all of his, or almost all of his rookie years. So, um, the fact that he has a pair of 500 yard seasons versus Treadwell, who's like struggling to get to 200, um, indicates there's probably more there and the familiarity he has with Kirk, Kirk was willing to throw to him in the red zone, uh, when they were together in 2017. Um, I, I think that there's a little bit more to believe that Doxon can produce than, than, you know, kind of hoping that Treadwell is going to be wide receiver three. Um, I would say that Doxon is probably a better third receiver for the Vikings in the long run than who they have on the roster in Chad Beebe and BC Johnson uh, until, say, you know, kind of Johnson continues to develop and grow as a receiver. But for this year, you know, I would say that that Doxon will take over that wide receiver three role, but, you know, he has to kind of be familiar with the offense and stuff like that. So it might take a couple of weeks before we see him kind of overtaking, you know, Chad Beebe, who had a couple of snaps in this game and actually uh, was surprisingly, despite being like five, nine or whatever, a, a big part of their blocking on, on some of those successful touchdown runs. Um, so they're going to, they're going to keep BB out there for at least the first couple of weeks. And then I, I personally, I would expect Doxon to take over that wide receiver three role. Is this, is this a complicated offense? I mean, I know, I think when people see like, oh, you know, it's a, we're going to run the ball, run the ball, you know, it seems like um, uh, Tecmo Bowl, you know, we just have the four combinations of anything you can run and then that's it. Uh, but I mean, uh, is it, is it, yeah. is the learning curve a little smaller for, I guess, lower for Dachshund? Uh, I think that the, the learning curve for Dachshund will be accelerated by the fact that um, it, it is, it looks like a West Coast offense to me. The fact that, you know, uh, Stefanski is working with Kubiak tells me it's likely to be a West Coast offense. Stefanski was brought on by Brad Childress, which, uh, who, you know, is a West Coast guy over in, in Philly before, before he came to the Vikings. Um, and so, the terminology won't won't be the same, but I suspect that once he kind of picks it up, it's going to be very similar to the stuff he did in Washington, who've been kind of a West Coast team with with Kirk um, over the past couple of years under Jay Gruden, um, and you know, and Sean McVay and, and all that, and whoever. So I, I would expect it's going to be a little bit before he learns all the terminology, but I would also expect it's going to be 
very comfortable for him because it's going to be kind of the same approach and you're just swapping out terms. You're not learning new concepts. So I would say that no matter kind of how complicated or simple the offense is, I think Doxon is probably equipped to uh, pick it up relatively quickly. Is there going to, I mean, is there going to be enough though for him to actually have an impact uh, just fantasy wise? It's, it seems like you're going to be running a lot. Cousins, you know, not going to throw 10 times, maybe you know, 25 to 28 to 30. Um, are there going to be enough balls for Doxon to have any kind of fantasy impact, or is this just kind of like one of those, maybe he'll have an 80-yard game here and there, but the rest will be like 26? Yeah, I, I'd i say he's an injuries handcuff, right? I It would be very tough for me to foresee a situation where, where Thielen and, and, and Diggs and Rudolph are all healthy and, and Doxon produces enough, even in, in kind of deep leagues for him to be all that fantasy relevant. I'd, I'd say it's it's a it's a difficult situation for him to be able to produce. Um I, I got a philosophical question for you, Arif. Uh Shoot. if you're you're going you're going out and telling everyone you're gonna be a running team and you're gonna run, run, run. Like how do you like it so Dalvin Cook had the third most, according to next gen stats, eight plus defenders in the box against him in week one behind CJ Anderson and Carry on Johnson. So in a way he saw the second most if you count Anderson and Johnson as the same guy. Mm-hmm. Um, cause they're on the same team, but, uh, it, like, like at what point does it become like, okay, we know they're going to run, uh, we're going to force cousins to try and beat us. And I know he has dangerous weapons and stuff, but it seems like if you're that committed to the run, um, the teams on defense are going to know that you're going to run and try and stop you. Is this a thing where they just have a ton of, and I know this sounds kind of childish, but it just from your point of view, is this thing where teams coming in are going to be like, just stop the run. Everything will be fine. Um, and we've taken away their whole game plan or is this kind of like, you know, we know our receivers can burn you if you try and stop the run. So that's where it gets very scary. Um, and it just kind of goes back to like almost like a vanilla defense against this team. Yeah, well, I think it's kind of actually a combination. Um, one of the things that the Vikings did is they uh, so they they put all these guys in the box and then they manipulated the box with motions. Um, so they would they would they would take a receiver, run him across the formation, and then now the safety is moving in the opposite direction of the play. And so they've effectively blocked that safety without touching him at all. Uh, and so they were able to get plus one uh, in the box with their blockers. Uh, and then also, uh, they've been very committed to this perimeter game. So if you stack the box uh, with your condensed formations, uh, what one thing that opens up, if you've if you're comfortable with your tight ends and your tackles blocking, if you can block down, you can catch an extra defender in the wall that you're creating as you run to the edge, which is exactly what happened in this game, where the Vikings were able to create blocking advantages um, because they condensed the formation and then they got to the edge where there was a lot of open space. Um, So that's part of it. But I think also the other part of it, like you said, um, good luck defending Thielen and Diggs one-on-one. I mean, the... Seahawks and the Patriots both decided that either of the receivers were worth triple teams last year. Um, so and, and those are pretty good defensive minds. Uh, so, uh, you know, if if the Vikings do create these scenarios where, you know, hey, we're, we're stuffing, we, we're in a condensed formation, we got, you know, two running backs and two receivers on the field and Thielen's out wide, um, good luck. Like, if, if, if that's what's going to happen, because Kirk has a lot of, uh, latitude at the line of scrimmage to change plays, and and if he sees that you know the defense has has walked up eight or even nine in the box, 
the Vikings are going to go for it. And they've shown uh, in training camp and in uh, in the preseason that when they go for it, they're going to be probably a lot more aggressive this year and push the ball maybe 20 yards or further down the field. So in a way, I mean, and I just I just like like just, I guess, clarifying this in a way. This run first defense and everything. Oh, Gary Kubiak and you know Mike Zimmer and just you know run run run. It's so simple. It's re- there's like a ton of nuance to this offense. Really, the more you dig and the more you kind of consider what you have to do to have a running offense. It's not just this dumb 1980s run the football and be all smash mouthy. Like there's a lot going on and there is a lot of movement and a lot of things going on that just layers and layers and layers of things. Um, it's not just this dummy run ahead and we'll win the game with you know a big offensive line thing. Yeah, even I'm surprised by kind of how complicated the running game looked in week one, because uh, in the preseason and in in camp, which, you know, I'm not not to say like an expert in breaking down running plays or anything like that, but I kind of expected based on what I saw that they would essentially rely on two running plays, outside zone and inside zone. And then they'll pepper in some other stuff like, you know, the the pin and pull is is kind of a, a zone play where you get to pull a guard at the same time. Um, you know, I, I expect that, but the, in this game, there were like five different variants of different kinds of zone runs and power runs. And, you know, I didn't even expect this team to have power running kind of in their DNA because, you know, Kubiak, he's the zone running guy. It's kind of one of the things he's been known for all the way down at Houston, Denver, and so on. Uh, and, and Dalvin Cook's first touchdown was on a, on what looked to be kind of a, a man blocking play, which I thought was, was interesting. And it was actually a pretty complicated play. I, I tried breaking it down and I was so confused. I sent it over to three different offensive coaches and the first thing they said was that they were confused. And then the wow. second thing they, they said was completely different. All three of them had different opinions of what the play was. Uh, so wow. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty complex running scheme, which I just, I didn't expect to see. Um, we have to get into Alexander Madison for a second because it's it's the hot name right now. It's buzzy. Everyone, you know, all, all the waiver wire columns you see, they're saying pick him up, pick him up. Um, I mean, it's it was limited playing time in a game where they're trying to run as much as they can. Um, is he worth anything? I mean, I I'm trying to think of someone like let's say Kyle Rudolph was your backup tight end just to keep within Minnesota for a second here in, in context. Uh, would you drop like let's say you have Evan Ingram and Kyle Rudolph? Would you drop Kyle Rudolph to pick up Alexander Madison? Is there that kind of upside there? Or is this just if you have Delvin Cook, you got to get him on his own? He's not any better than like a Jalen Samuels in a PPR, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't pick up Alexander Madison um, unless you've got like a lot of space for injury handcuffs and stuff like that. Um, I would, you know, if you've got like, say, Kyle Rudolph and Evan Ingram, I'd, I'd keep Kyle Rudolph. Um, but, and obviously Evan Ingram. Um, right. so yeah, uh, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick him up, um, unless you're kind of confident that the Dalvin cook who has played in 15 of, of his, of his 32 games of the first, uh, first two seasons and was only healthy for 13 of them. You know, if you're confident that he's going to get hurt again, then Madison, I think would be a phenomenal pickup. I think he's a better injury handcuff than a lot of running backs would be. Um, but I, I think that the volume is primarily going to go to cook. Uh, I thought even that Alexander Madison would be maybe like a, a touchdown vulture, like kind of like the Michael Bush to Matt Forte or something like that. Yeah, all right, nice. <laughs> and uh, that didn't even happen. Uh, as soon as they got to the goal line, so there was even a, a, a drive where Madison was the running back all the way to the 10-yard line, and then they put Delvin Cook in, and I was like, what is going on? Why, why is Delvin Cook the goal line guy? <laughs> um, so... Uh, in situations where they they think they're going to score, they just trust Alvin Cook a lot. 
So I, I would stay away from Madison um, until he proves he's either a touchdown vulture or the, the risk to, to injury for Dalvin Cook is relatively high. And is this um, Dalvin Cook, like, I guess I, I just want to like kind of, I guess, juxtapose him on Darius Geis uh, because they're both guys who came back from the ACLs. And then Dalvin Cook last year, it seemed like the Vikings were being very cautious. Um, and I guess I throw Leonard Fournette in the mix, too, because it seemed like Jacksonville wasn't. Um, you know, we, we have inside injuries do a lot of stuff with us and I've, I've read their work forever and talked to them forever. And they always talk about, you know, aggravating a different injury when you're coming back from something that's you know somewhat related, maybe on the different leg or something like that, um, because you're favoring it or whatever. And it seemed like last year, Dalvin Cook was like the textbook example of what inside injuries and a lot of doctors say to do is take your time, be super cautious, um, you know, just get him totally clear. Uh, so, you know, you, you lost him for a bit, but it was it was a good thing at the end of the day, especially in your fantasy playoffs and stuff like that. Um, a year removed from that now, and, and just with bringing in Darius Geis because now his other knees hurt. And, you know, it might have been from favoring coming back from the ACL injury and not easing him in, I guess, and just stuff that happens with this kind of injury. Um, is Dalvin Cook, like, to- is, is is the, I guess, the feeling there, he's totally clear. Like, let's we're not going to worry about aggravation. He's so far away from this this injury and we rested him like we were supposed to last year at the right times and for the right amount of time. Um, is that, I mean, cause I think a lot of people think that Madison would have gotten the goal line work might've been, you know, that's, that's a high injury zone right there for cook to get just, you know, hit the wrong way or to pull something. Um, does this kind of speak to them? Maybe just being like wheels are off, dude. Like you're, you're fine. You're far enough away from this that we're not even worried about aggravation right now. Yeah, I think so. Um, the Vikings have been, very kind of sensitive to this issue where uh, if you have an ACL on one knee, you're, you're likely to favor the other anymore. And that's like a documented thing. It's not just like it it happened to happen to, to guys. It's it's something that that shows up repeatedly in, in, in sports and injury literature. Uh, and it happened a lot to the Vikings uh, in the 2000s. Um, so the athletic staff, which has been with the Vikings for a long time, is very, very familiar with this problem. And the thing is, uh, one of the problems that even during rehab, you can build up muscle more in one leg than the other. And so that can actually stick with you for a while. Even after you're fully recovered, you'll unconsciously still favor one leg or the other because you've just built up more muscle there and then injured the other leg, even though you're totally fine. Uh, and so it's something that they know about and are very familiar with. And it was some, one of the priorities when Adrian Peterson was coming back from his ACL um, and it's, it's one thing that they've talked a lot about or not talked about, but have been aware of with, with Mike Hughes, uh, coming back. Uh, and, and it's something that I think they're very, very comfortable with when it comes to Dalvin cook. It's something that they feel like they've been very good about bringing him back. Like you said, they were pretty cautious at first. Um, you know, when he came back from injury last year, I think that they're ready to go full bore right before the season started. You know, we asked Mike Zimmer, Hey, He's been injured a lot. Are you, you've got a third round running back. That's kind of unusual. Um, are you just going to let him take on some drives and, and ease Dalvin Cook in? And he's like, yeah, you know, it's complicated. I don't really know, you know, if if we're going to really give the full workload to Dalvin Cook because he's the most talented guy. Uh, but also, you know, he's got this injury thing. And then they give him the full workload. I think we'll we'll expect to see kind of him continue to be kind of full bore where the injury is not really going to, or injury concerns are not really going to kind of dictate how they use them. This is, uh, this is good to hear actually. It's kind of, it's kind of nice that as a, as a Dalvin cook owner, um, if, if you don't, if you haven't figured that out yet, well, let's ask <laughs> more, more questions about Dalvin cook. Um, so looking ahead to, I, I just, I don't want to date this episode too much because I think this is great information regardless of when you listen to it. 
But going from the Falcons to the Packers, um, how do you see this game plan changing at all? I mean, are we going to see a, a Kirk Cousins? I'm not an explosion. I guess at this point, 25 passes is, a, is an explosion. Right. But um, yeah. is, is this, they, they got to play the, the Packers different than the Falcons, right? I mean, they're not going to have that block punt, assuming they're not going to have a block punt early, assuming they're not going to have that short field. And it's going to be a quote-unquote regular game. Um, how's this going to ratio out? I, I'm just assuming Dalvin Cook, ton of carries, 25 carries maybe. Um, but the rest of the team, how's that going to shake out? Yeah, I mean, I could, I could say, yeah, Kirk Cousins is a threat to triple his production, and you know, it's it's still not even three hundred yards. You're right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I would expect them to to throw the ball a bit more. I wouldn't see, um, you know, Cooks touches dip any because well, he had twenty one carries and two receptions on two targets, so he had twenty three touches. Um, I would expect a couple more of those touches to come through the air this time around uh, than on the ground. Um, but, you know, I, w- when I'm breaking down film, I can tell you what happened, but I'm not very great at telling you what's going to happen, right? I take a look at that Packers defense, and I see strengths everywhere now. Uh, they've got a really phenomenal defensive line, and you think, well, if that's the case, you know, especially because they've got, you know, great nose tackle and Kenny Clark, are they going to throw the ball a little bit more? But, you know, they're really happy with who they have in the secondary, you know, players like Jair Alexander and so on. Tremont Williams had a pretty great game. Um, you know, that it's kind of a risk to throw it. Uh, I, I would say they're more likely to lean uh, pass versus run based off of kind of what we're seeing uh, from the Packers and kind of what might work against them, what might not. Um, but I, I would say that really, in this case, kind of regression is your friend. They're they're just not likely to score, you know, 28 points off the bat. So they're just going to throw the ball a little bit more. Plus, uh, even though uh, they've got a great defense and and they've historically done a really good job shutting down Rodgers, they're more likely to have to play catch up too. So uh, I, I would say that Cook might get 18, 19 carries, but he's going to get a couple more touches uh, through the air. Uh, Madison is probably not going to get as many as nine touches. Um and then, and then Cousins is probably going to throw the ball quite a bit more. Plus, one of the things that I don't think a lot of people talk about, this game had very few possessions. I think the Vikings only had nine real drives, you know, drives without kneel downs. Um, and, uh, and, and that just doesn't happen uh, very much in the NFL. So uh, I, I would say there's probably a, a greater chance of having more drives too. And so that always increases the play total. Um, just shifting gears again to uh, to just how you're handling this week, because um, I think it's kind of cool to get into the mind of someone who, who gets to cover a team all the time. And you have all these different players and teams come into town. Uh, it's we're recording this on Tuesday morning. What's your, what's your week like right now? How Like, how much do you look at the Packers and go try and figure some stuff out with them? How much is it just kind of trying to get some quotes out of the Vikings? Like, what, what is your week like right now from from this point forward until the game? Uh, it, it sometimes it's it, it gets different. If it's a a, a repeat opponent, kind of later in the year, um, you know, I'm a little bit less intense about you know trying to see you know what this team did or what that team did. Um, but today, I mean, the first thing I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to take a look at kind of what the Packers did. Now that the All 22 is out, take a look at what the Packers did offensively and defensively, try to categorize it, and then I'm going to read people who are smarter than me do the same thing. I know those pieces are already out, uh, and kind of see what we can kind of cohere about what the Packers do. And then, you know, on, on Wednesday, I get to talk to, you know, the, the, the players and and the coaches, and I might ask a couple of questions. I mean, they're not going to tell me, yeah, we're going to run, you know, wide zone on the third play, but, uh, (laughs) but, you know, I, I get to ask some questions about, 
you know, maybe some of the stuff I saw or kind of what their approach is when you've got a new coordinator and stuff like that. Uh, and then I'll be able to kind of construct what I think might be a reasonable Packers preview. And, you know, if I bat above 500, I'm pretty proud of myself. And, and I think I, I batted a little bit above that last year. Nice. This is awesome. Uh, cool. This, I mean, it's, it's good to know that I guess there's, there's maybe some kind of predictability with this offense, especially after that first game, but, um, not a ton. And, you know, it's not the greatest in a way it's like the predictability is that it's going to be a little bit chaotic and swinging back and forth a lot. You know, is, is that a good way to kind of not put a yeah, bow on the, this whole thing, but characterize the, it? The volatility is predictable. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so in other words, fantasy players just kind of stay away from everyone, but Delvin cook. Uh, yeah. That's what it seems like right now. And I'm a huge fan of Diggs and Thielen from a talent perspective, but that doesn't always mean they're going to be there to produce for you. And I guess if you're in a touchdown only league, Kyle Rudolph's an intriguing guy, or at least he was until, you know. <laughs> right. yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'd say he's probably still an intriguing guy, but uh, pay attention to that quote, I think is 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 what I would do. All right. Um, Arif, uh, we, we finish every show with, with kind of a getting to know the beat writer. Uh, just 10 questions. Um, and I, look, I, I don't know. Do you live in Minneapolis? I do. Okay, thank God. Because like a few of these are Minneapolis centric. I, I was there. <laughs> Perfect. I was there for the first time last summer, and uh, like twice, twice Did within like a it? month. It was like, on, it was one of my favorite cities I've ever been to. You're not, you're not just saying that. No, I like, dude. I can tell you, I, like, I have questions about specific bars in here. Like, oh, I had oh, such a good go. time. Okay, and fantastic. I think it reminded, like, I grew up in Syracuse, and the city, like, I, I just, I got out of my hotel and I looked around a little bit. I'm like, this is kind of like Syracuse downtown a little bit. It's, it's kind of. You know, nice people, the way it's built. Um, I bought some Ludafisk. I had the... Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that was not... Well, that was not... <laughs> a, I didn't even get to eat it. It melted in the plane, so that was that's uh, not a good experience. Yeah, that's... You're fine. Don't worry about <laughs> yeah, it. No, yeah, that is... <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, first one I got to ask you, Michael Jackson versus Prince. Oh, Prince. That's not even close. What are you I talking know. about? I just want to make sure that, you know... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get a little the... deeper then. Number two, okay. uh, what's in your hot dish? Oh boy, um, I, I I like to mix things up. I'm not a huge. As, this is such a Minnesotan thing to say. Uh, thank you. I like to mix <laughs> things up in my hot dish. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm not a huge cream of mushroom soup guy. I think that there's a lot of different kind of thick white sauces you can use that that are probably better um, for for that application, but. I like to think of it as as kind of like how you'd construct like a, a shepherd's or a cottage pie. So I would say, um, but obviously instead of like the mashed potatoes, you're using like tater tots and you're topping it with like green beans and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I would say I like to mix up the meats that are in there, um, have veal along with with uh, with beef and lamb uh, or and, and, and also maybe a little bit of pork for flavor. Um, but I, I think that you can never miss an opportunity to to add flavor. And for that, I think it means browning a lot of stuff, which you don't typically see in a hot dish, which is like very often gelatinous and goopy. So, um, yeah, mix meats, brown a lot of the meats a little bit more so you can have a lot more crispy bits. Yeah. Nice. All right. Thank you. I'm actually I'm t- taking notes. I, I came back, <laughs> I came back and I'm like, all right, I gotta, I gotta try making this cause it's amazing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's super fulfilling. Yeah. Uh, and it lasts for days cause you can't just yeah. make like a single portion. Yeah. Um, number three, uh, how many times you've been on the Ferris wheel at Danger Betty's? Oh, only the once actually. Really? I, I, I went because it'd be weird not to. 
okay. <laughs> to, to say uh, that I haven't been on the Ferris wheel, but yeah, only the, only the once. All right. Uh, that completes our Minnesota section of this for you. Um, <laughs> what is the, uh, what is the first animal you go see when you're at the zoo? Oh man. Uh, I, 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 so this is so weird. This is so perfectly me. I try to research when I go to like <laughs> zoos and stuff. Uh, so I was just at uh, animal kingdom at, at Disney world, like this summer and we were trying to figure out what to do. Uh, and so, you know, we took obviously the, the, the tour they have of, of the, um, the whole park, which actually the, the Africa section of their park is called Harambe, which, uh, just broke my brain first. Uh, but they've got <laughs> this incredible, uh, you know, area where they, they have all these African birds and we, we spent a lot of time there. Um, and I'm not typically a bird guy. So, but yeah, I ended up doing that first. Um, I, I just kind of like to see what the big cats are doing a lot. So I like to go to the, the big cat area because I think they're kind of fascinating creatures. So if I've got nothing else, that's probably kind of where I make a beeline. But honestly, if, uh, if they've got like, you know, really great concessions, whatever animals near that. Oh, all right. That's an easy answer, I guess. <laughs> um, do you remember the first time you tried sushi? Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, my brother's birthday. He uh, he just come back from from college on the East Coast, telling us about this crazy thing sushi. I mean, we'd all heard of it, but like my mom was like very grossed out, so I ne- never had it. But it was my brother's birthday, so we insisted we go to Sakura's in in Minneapolis, which is uh, a really high level sushi place. He really forced my mom to pay out for his birthday, <laughs> uh, and it was phenomenal. Uh, I loved it. Um, that must have been, I, I must have been like 10. Wow. Nice. Um, what's the last jersey you bought for yourself? Uh, I like to buy jerseys for players who are retired because I, I don't want to like be disappointed. Uh, you know, most of the narrative for them has been like written, right? Right. So I don't <laughs> want to be like, oh, they get <laughs> traded after like physically fighting with a coach. Um <laughs> which I guess that could actually apply to multiple players now. Uh, that was a Percy Harvin reference for Minnesota guys. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I actually, uh, uh, for uh, my girlfriend, I bought a Teddy Bridgewater jersey and I, I broke the no rookies rule. I was just such a big believer in kind of what he could do. Um, that And she wanted a Cordero Patterson jersey. And I was like, absolutely not. Don't buy rookie jerseys. And I was happy about that. And then we got the Teddy Bridgewater jersey a year later. Um, but for myself, it must have been uh, an Alan Page throwback. Oh, wow. Okay, nice. Um, which favorite Saturday morning cartoon? Uh, it, Batman the Animated Series. All right, uh, we'll take it. Yeah, it's it's the best cartoon of all time. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, we got three more left. Um, can you drive manual? Uh, I used to be able to. Uh, before I got a license, um, then uh, okay, I, <laughs> yeah, and it's it, I, I grew up in Grand Forks, North Dakota, um, so everyone learns to drive before like they're thirteen, uh, and then I never got around to getting a license until I was like twenty two. So like my ID at bars is actually my passport, uh, and wow. so I had to relearn how to drive because I hadn't driven for like six years and I'd only learned uh, automatic. So I, I can't anymore drive a manual. Um, last two, we ask everybody, uh, what kind of pen do you use? Uh, pilot G2, uh, thick, so 0.7 millimeter. <laughs> nice. It's, you wouldn't believe the split between people who 
can name their pen and everyone who's like, oh, just whatever, you know, the Marriott has. I just grab it. Uh, oh, no, I'm it's crazy. very passionate about this. <laughs> and uh, last one, you're 15 years old again. Uh, who's your celebrity crush? Oh, geez. Um, if I remember who, I think it was Natalie Portman when I was 15. Um, All right. Yeah. Let's Star go. Wars Natalie? I don't know how old you are, but I assume Star Wars Natalie Portman. That helped a lot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's it for getting to know Arif. Um, if you like the show again, uh, well, actually, I don't even think I plugged it. Follow Arif at Arif Hassan NFL. Uh, that's H A S A N one S. Um, he's a great follow. I'm just I'm, as as a. <laughs> oh man, I forgot the size Sperling line. Spur of the moment. I'm also a client. I'm not only the president oh. of the Arif Hassan uh, Twitter follow club. I'm also a client. <laughs> I've been. <laughs> I've been, I've been a follower for a while, so um, it's good. It's chock full of information. It's not annoying. Uh, it's not boring. So strongly suggest it. Also, if you want to check out The Athletic, theathletic.com slash PBC gets you uh, 40% off. I, like, I don't think I'm supposed to say this, but theathletic.com slash free trial gets you a week, and then I think 30% off after that. So you can poke around for a week if that's more your style. But um, Arif, thanks a lot, man. This, this is very cool for you to do this. Uh, good luck this season. It seems like it'll be a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah, I mean, it always is with this team. Yeah, but I mean, maybe maybe we'll just, I mean, you start out a season doing 10 passes. It seems like you're in for a bit more of a ride. Some more dips. <laughs> Some more dips this year. Uh, but thanks a lot, man. It's much appreciated, and, uh, and good luck with the rest of the season and everything. Yeah, thanks, man. You too. This was a lot of fun. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. All right, see you around.